Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shemel. I'm your host, Brother Shemel, and we're just going to get into it. Um, back with another one, and this one is called What is an Angel? And uh, I'll just give some background um, shortly as to um, what it is about. But before I do so, as always, I want to thank uh, everyone who is uh, listening to the podcast, uh, who has supported the podcast uh, from day one, those who continue to support, um, those who are new to the podcast, and I hope that you like um, what you hear. Um, Just basically, um, no major updates um, other than I am back to... Um, working on putting out a new book. So I'm excited about that. Um, I plan to have some, I believe I said this earlier, uh, I will be having some guests um, coming shortly. Um, I'm lining that up, but I'm really excited about the new book that I'm working on. Um, Also looking forward to actually doing an Amazon launch on one of my books on uh, what is the higher self um, I'm going to revamp that book uh, and put that into an Amazon la- launch on that so it will be in Amazon very soon also the new book that I'm coming out with I'm not going to give the title away just yet but you know it's all along the same line of what I've been working uh, been putting out um, that also will be on Amazon as well so um, looking forward to working on this new platform because I've been kind of private and kind of independent, more so self-contained as far as how I've been selling the books. I, you'll still be able to go to my website, which is shemel.com, S-H-E-M hyphen E-L.com to get my books. But, you know, for the purpose of uh, marketing to a larger audience, I know that there's a lot of people out there who uh, want to get my work and they just, you know, they're stuck in Amazon world. So I got to go out and reach out to the people. So be on the lookout for that. I'll keep you posted on the updates pertaining to that. So without further ado, uh, the title of this episode is What is an Angel? And as some of you may know who study more science, uh, that is a question that is in our Morris questionnaire where the question is asked, what is an angel? And the answer is an angel is a thought of a law manifested in human flesh, which is um, distinct from another similar question, answer, I should say, from the question, what is a prophet? Where it says a prophet is a thought of a law manifested in flesh. So we'll get into that. Um, but as always, I like to start off by reading uh, a portion, passage from the Circle 7, and I'll be reading from chapter 10, uh, the section that starts off about uh, Allah's own record book. And the reason why I don't really specify the particular verse, I know in certain people's books, um, just how you know it is 
the verses are actually different. Um, Why I'm reading from, I'm reading from verse 19, but it may not be 19 in your book if you have that particular one. So I'll just read it. It says, from Allah's own record book, we read the triune Allah breathed forth and stood seven spirits before his face. The Hebrews call these seven spirits Elohim. And these are they who, in their boundless power, created everything that is or was. These spirits of the triune Allah moved on the face of boundless space. And seven ethers were and every ether had its form of life. These forms of life were but the thought of Allah clothed in the substance of their ether planes. Men call these ether planes the planes of protoplast, of earth, of plant, of beast, of man, of angel, and of cherubim. These planes, with all their teeming thoughts of Allah, are never seen by eyes of man in flesh. They are composed of substance far too fine for fleshly eyes to see, and still they constitute the soul of things. And with these eyes of soul, all creatures see these ether planes and all forms of life, because all forms of life on every plane are thoughts of Allah. All creatures think and every creature is possessed of will and in its measure has the power to choose and in their native planes all creatures are supplied with nourishment from the ethers of their planes and so it was with every living thing until the will became a sluggish will and then the ethers of the protoplast the earth the plant the beast, the man began to vibrate very slow. The ethers all became more dense and all creature, all the creatures of these planes were clothed with coarser garbs of flesh which men can see. And thus this coarser manifest which men call physical appeared. And this is what is called the fall of man. But man felt not alone for protoplast and earth and plant and beast were all included in the fall. The angels and the cherubim felt not. Their wills were ever strong and so they held the ethers of their planes in harmony with Allah. So I'll stop there. So one of the things that we notice in this passage is specifies about the various planes of existence and the manifest of those planes and all forms of life on every plane being a thought of Allah. Now, the angel as I mentioned, is unique in addition with the cherubim, which some have put in with the classifications of angels, but of a higher ranking, and we'll get into that. But it says the angels and the cherubim fell not. Their wills were ever strong, 
And so they held the ethers of their planes in harmony with Allah, which is a unique perspective um, because there are those in the uh, Orthodox Islamic community. Uh, I've heard teachings in reference to the angels having no will of their own so to speak their only will was the will of Allah so to speak so that's a unique perspective and we kind of can get into that a little later but what I will be um, drawing from in addition to this will be um, certain sections of uh, the Bible Mysteries Revealed as you know lately I've been going into that but also my own book my own books specifically who is Elohim and how many days are in the circle so what I like to do first is get into these classifications of these uh, angels first uh, dealing with that and then we're going to explore the aspect of human thought about the thought being uh, manifest because this is where it really gets deep so as you know cherubim was already mentioned so just uh, drawing from Bible Mysteries Revealed it says on page 99 the Hebrew Kabbalah shows the complete system of the celestial hierarchy and gives the names, position, and office of these rulers called Elohim or gods. For example, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Seraphim, Cherubim, Ishim, Malachim, Orphanim, Tarsusim, Aralim, Chasmalim, and a host of others. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, there are celestial bodies and celestial bodies. And we kind of spoke on that in the last, um, in the last, or previous, I should say, episode, when we were talking about the celestial bodies and the celestial bodies, the first Adam and the last Adam, etc., so then it goes on to say this. M. Maspero says, quote, the affirmation of the fundamental unity of the divine being may be read in formal and energetic terms in the text dating from the days of the ancient empire. God, spirit is the only one. He who exists in essence the only one living in substance, the sole generator in heaven and on earth, who is not himself engendered. At once, father, mother, and son, he engenders, brings to birth, and is perpetually in these three persons, far from dividing divine nature work together to his infinite perfection 
His attributes are immensity, eternity, almighty will, and boundless goodness. He creates his own members, which are called gods. Each of these secondary gods, considered with the one god, may form a new type from which other inferior types emanate in turn and by the same process, unquote, which is from a book with a French title, which translates as ancient history of the people of the Orient. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to get in. First, I want to speak about the author is described as M. Mispero. I'll just touch on this real quick and then I'll get into the text. M. Mispero, um, is was a term used for a man by the name of Gaston Mispero, right? Um, in who was a actual French Egyptologist who wrote multiple books. Uh, born in 1846, died in 1916, and you know, in many of his books, it would just say. G. Maspero, or sometimes M. G. Maspero, or sometimes M. Maspero. Now the M, you know, I don't know. It may be Monsieur, Master. I don't know what the M stood for. But if you ever see any of those books where it would have that, it was speaking about that particular person, um, Gaston Maspero. Now, the interesting thing about him, in addition to being a French Egyptologist, is that he popularized the term sea peoples, um, which is a term used um, by many historians. He didn't originate the term. It was originated by his predecessor, but he himself popularized the term. And the term was originally... um, was a French. In French, the term is uh, um, peuple de la mer. Peuple, of course, literally means peoples. De la mer means of the sea. Mer, M-E-R, which interestingly enough can be phonetically connected with the word more. More, right? And which is interesting, there's quite a debate as who these sea people were. The sea people was uh, purported to be a seafaring confederation that, you know, went to war against uh, the people of ancient Kemet, what you call Egypt today. And it's verified by these ancient texts that are found in Kemet. And while again, there's many, um, debate, there's many theories, much debate as to who they were, and there's definitely uh, confirmation that they were somehow connected with the Hittites, but it's interesting that one of the oral statements of Noble Jali states that the Moors were a sea foreign people who once ruled the world and were 
we rule again, but this time under love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice, which is, uh, I'm paraphrasing that oral statement, but it's interesting that that kind of lines up with this notion of the sea people of ancient time and that the French term is um, um, Pouple de l'amour. So just something to consider for those of you who are interested in that little history. But getting back into the subject matter, in this particular text, Mespero um, speaks about the father, mother, and son, which is really father, mother, and child. Of course, he's speaking from a patriarchal perspective, but that ties directly with um, the statement where it says the triune Allah breathed forth and stood seven spirits before his face. The Hebrews call these spirits Elohim, right? The spirits of the triune Allah moved on the face of the bound of boundless space and seven ethers were and every ether had its form of life. So again, this dealing with the triune. Okay. And we spoke about this many times about uh, the triune being wisdom, will, and love. You know, eternal thought is one. In essence, it is two. And when these two are uh, are joined, you know, a child is born. You know, that child is love. So this kind of ties in exactly to this this whole concept. Like I said, the the concept of the three manifesting in the seven is found in multiple texts. It confirms itself. There is no coincidence. Not it's not out of thin air. You know, uh, it's been confirmed over and over in, the, in many different writings and many different languages. And again, this is uh, this is an Egyptologist, a French Egyptologist, who wrote this in the 1800s. So uh, it's nothing strange. The law governs all events. So that's one aspect of it. Um, also dealing with the aspect of the gods, the secondary gods, so to speak. Um, it says each of these secondary gods considered with the one God, which is the triune may form a new type from which other inferior types emanate in turn and by the same process. Okay. Now, just getting into that earlier in the Bible Mysteries Reveal, it goes into the various um, examples. First, it goes into the Elohim. And again, as I mentioned, I'll, I'll refer to um, my book, Who is Elohim? And he mentions names in here, uh, such as Michael, Raphael, Gabriel. And knowing that those names originally came by way of the um, the aspect of the uh, book of Enoch, which I'll get into that as well. Um, and that's very important to understand about that term because even when you deal with Elohim right they always refer to that statement in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 where it states in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth 
right? And in the verse, in the English translation, the uppercase letter G is used for the word God, right? Now, let's refer to the book of Psalms 82, verse 6, which states, I have said, you are God's, and all of you are children of the Most High, El Elyon. In this verse, the lowercase letter G is used for the word God's. It's important to note that the same Hebrew word Elohim is used in both verses. And people who use the big G, little g concept would say that the only reason why the word God's is plural is because the lowercase g is used. They would say that the uppercase letter G is used only for the almighty creator. There's just one problem with that explanation. There's no such thing as uppercase and lowercase letters in any of the Semitic languages, which includes Hebrew. So that rule does not apply to the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay. Now to further explain how the word Elohim is a plural word, we'd have to go into the Hebrew language. Suffixes are utilized in the Hebrew language to create plurals of nouns and adjectives, right? So the I am ending, the M ending on the word Elohim, which is spelled E-L-O-H-I-M, that I am, is a masculine plural suffix. The suffix M consists of the Hebrew letters Yad and Mim. Other examples of words with I-M includes the angelic beings classified as cherubim and seraphim, which is mentioned, I just mentioned cherubim in chapter 10. Cherubim and seraphim are also mentioned in chapter 1 of the Holy Quran and the Moor Science Temple of America, which speaks about uh, the cherubim and seraphim in part, where it says man is the lord of all the plane of manifest of protoplast of mineral of plant of beast but he gave up his birthrights just to gratify his lowest self but man will regain his lost estate his heritage but he must do so do it in a conflict that cannot be told in words yea he must suffer trials and tribulations forgive me on that i said that wrong Yea, he must suffer trials and temptations manifold, but let him know that cherubim and seraphim that rule the stations of the sun and spirit of the mighty Allah who rule the solar stars are his protectors and his guide, and they will lead to victory. Okay? Now, also a side note to realize is that um, the I am is also used in the Bible um, a lot with um, beings that are giants, um, such as the uh, Raphaim, Raphaim, um, Anakim, and the Emim, okay, uh, which is a term that was used, um, which a tumor which was the word that was used for beings um, that were called by the Moabite people. The Moabite people addressed these people as Emim, right? All of those words have the I-M in it. So that the giants 
would be parallel to your Titans in the Greek Greco-Roman mythology, right? Your giant beings. Um, however, when it deals in the Bible about the, a lot of the tribes, their uh, their plural would be uh, ites, like Israelites, Canaanites, Hittites, Moabites, right? But when it would describe these particular giants, there was giants in the earth in those days, they would describe them with the I am being above, beyond just regular human beings. So that's interesting to note in that aspect. So now, since Elohim is plural, you know, what is the singular form of the, of the word Elohim, right? That would be a question. So the answer to that is that you would have a singular feminine form of the word. The singular feminine form of the word Elohim is the word Eloah, right? And that word, that Hebrew word, is found in the book of Job 41 times. And from this word, you get the Arabic word Allah. So when people hear Allah, they, you know, they kind of get out of whack. Some people, if they're not, um, if they have a Christian mindset or they're not in they have this perception of Islam but that word is really in your Bible anyway just as the word Eloah right remember we're dealing with Semitic languages so that's very important to understand so without getting too deep into that you know and then even a shorter word from there you have um, the root El E-L right which translates as God or deity okay and that word actually originates from the language known as Ugaritic. And Ugaritic is a Northwest Semitic language, which forms one of the branches of what they call the Afro-Asiatic language family. And it's known to date back as far as the 15th century BC. Okay. There's a book you can look into, a 1965 book called the ancient near east by cyrus gordon okay so if you want to be interested in that that can be uh, connected to what's known as the ebla tablets right and the ebla tablets are an archive of as many as 1800 complete clay tablets right with 4700 fragments and different uh minor chips discovered in the ancient palace of the ancient city in Ibla, Syria, modern-day Syria. So all this is in the Middle East, right? The, the importance of the Ibla tablets is the fact that it provides the first known reference of the ancient Canaanites, okay? And also the rituals which are described in the tablets parallel the ones mentioned in the book of Leviticus, yet it predates Leviticus and all the other books of Moses that they call the Torah right so you know that's something to think about as well so from El you get Eli right El Ha El or Eli right 
And that translates as my El or my God. And this is found in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 34, which states, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And it's interesting to note that this exact statement, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, is also found in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verse 1. Okay? So, and it gets a little deeper as we go along, but what we'll talk about in the latter, in the next section, is more so about the aspect of the concept of an angel being a human thought and also the angel being light.